Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. Today's episode is sponsored by Wolfgang Reforest. Wolfgang Reforest are currently writing the next chapter in the history of Ireland's native woodlands and they want you to get involved. As you'll hear in this episode, our native Irish woodlands were perilously close to being entirely lost, but Wolfgang Reforest are at the fore of regenerating one of our great national and natural treasures. They have purchased land in the Wicklow Mountains close to Tom the Fuinoga Woods, one of Ireland's remaining native woodlands, and they are in the process of planting certified native Irish trees, expanding this native woodland by 30%. Whether you're in Ireland or overseas, you can join the gang at wolfgangreforest.ie and become part of this incredible project that will see native Irish woodlands spread over the Wicklow Mountains again. As part of the gang, you get updates and you can avail of invites to travel down to Wicklow and participate in one of their tree planting days. Having visited and met Alan and the gang, I can testify to what an experience just being there and getting involved in something like this is. Join the gang and restore Ireland's native woodlands with Wolfgang Reforest. It just takes you three minutes, but you'll be making a difference that will last centuries. Join the gang at wolfgangreforest.ie Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn DeWire and this is A History of Irish Woodlands and Forests. This podcast will stretch back deep into our history, over 10,000 years. We will weave our way through a story that begins when Ireland was largely covered by huge forests through to more recent centuries when these were nearly all cut down. We'll also look at how our ancestors engaged with the trees, woodlands and forests around them in a radically different way than we do today. That's why I've started the show here in the depths of a forest or at least what we think a forest is in the 21st century. I'm in what's called a commercial plantation, with row after row of Sitka spruce covering the hills around me. Now forests like this one are far and away the most common type of woodland in Ireland. If you've ever walked through one of these, you'll be familiar with my surroundings. The forest floor is almost completely sterile, covered in dead foliage. The trees tower above me, blocking out nearly all light, so it's hard for anything else to grow down here on the forest floor. Overall, it has an eerie quality. It's completely lifeless. While forests like this one may be the most common in the Irish landscape today, much of the history I'm going to talk about in today's show did not take place in woodlands like this one. Native Irish woodlands, which dominated the landscape for thousands of years, looked entirely different. And to understand the history of trees in Ireland, it's important to appreciate what a native Irish woodland was like. However, it can be tricky to find a native Irish woodland these days, so I was delighted when Wolfgang Reforest came on board to sponsor this episode, and they kindly allowed me to record part of the show in their native woodland in the Wicklow Mountains to give you a sense of just how different Irish forests were in the past. So I'm going to walk back over to my car, head up to Wolfgang Reforest, and hopefully you'll get a sense of the type of woodland our ancestors walked through. 
I've come to a completely different woodland now to give you a sense of what a native Irish forest would have been like. And I'm joined by Alan Coleman. Alan is going to tell me what a native woodland is like because you're in the process of, I suppose, creating one here. That's right. We're re reforesting Wicklow. Um, so one of Ireland's last remaining ancient woodlands is 10 miles away from us here. We've, with the support of the Irish public, through gifting trees and subscribing to, to Wolfgang Reforest, we've been able to purchase 12 acres here, um, which we're reforesting with native Irish woodlands. So we've got saplings, the baby trees from that, that, that nearby ancient woodlands, and we've also got a mix of about 10 other native Irish trees. There's an entirely different feel here compared to uh, the commercial plantations. Am I right in saying as well, uh, native Irish woodlands also have a mix of trees. If you go to commercial forests you see around Ireland, those forests that I think most people associate with woodland, they generally have one species. Whereas, again, if we go back the centuries, people would have walked through a forest with a variety of trees in it. So our ancestors would be horrified if they saw one of those. Like we all, most Irish people grow up thinking that's a forest. It's not, it's a wood factory. Um, so a number of reasons why it's different. First of all, it's single species. So just like a diverse diet is good for your, your gut, um, diverse mix of trees is really good for the soil and the soil is where it all comes from. Um, another reason it's different over here is the trees over there are evergreen. So it means no light gets in to, to that land at all, all year long. Whereas of course here, um, the, every autumn, you know, we're gonna get a winter with, with no leaves. So the land gets to experience different seasons, as well as at least a dozen different types of leaves falling down to nourish it. With Alan's description of a native Irish woodland in mind, we can start our journey through the history of Irish woodlands and forests. We're going to begin, though, in an unusual location, a limestone cave known as the Alice and Gwendolen Cave in County Clare. Thousands of years ago, in the darkness, an unsuspecting, distant ancestor of ours, having butchered a brown bear, cast aside one of the bones. They wandered out of the cave, and to a certain extent out of history, but the bone would lie undisturbed for thousands of years, until in 1903, it was rediscovered. The significance of the bare bone was only realised in 2016 when it was analysed using modern techniques. Archaeologists have been particularly curious about five distinct grooves that were instantly recognisable as evidence of human activity. However, when it was tested, the date of this bone astounded everyone. It was 12,500 years old making the unsuspecting person or people who cast the bone aside in that cave the earliest known humans in Ireland. Now starting off this journey that explores the history of trees with the earliest humans might seem a little off topic, but as we're about to see, human history, more than any other factor, shapes and defines the rise, fall and hopefully perhaps the rise of trees in Ireland again. So in this vein, I want to follow that very distant ancestor who cut that bare bone 12,500 years ago out of the Alice and Gwendolen Cave in Clare and into the surrounding landscape 12,500 years ago, which was very different from what we might expect. If you try to imagine Ireland, 
12,500 years ago, in your mind's eye, you may well conjure up images of humans camped at the edge of a vast, primeval forest of enormous oak trees. Perhaps you might even imagine these people looking with fear and trepidation into this dense forest, a fear only momentarily broken by the howl of a wild animal echoing through the trees. As enchanting as this image of the distant past may be, it's a misconception in every way imaginable. Indeed, when our ancestors ventured out of the Alice and Gwendolyn cave, having finished eating the brown bear, they were almost certainly greeted by few, if any, trees. There's considerable evidence that we humans actually arrived in Ireland before trees took hold on the island. When the earliest generations of human settlers arrived in Ireland, perhaps a few generations before our friends in the cave, Ireland was a relatively new place, to a certain extent. Before 15,000 years ago, the vast majority, if not the entire island, had been covered by an ice sheet that was up to a kilometre thick in places. This ice sheet left Ireland very similar to modern-day Antarctica, making it almost impossible for humans to survive and completely impossible for trees to set down roots. It was only around 15,000 years ago that these ice sheets began to recede. While humans, as we know from our friends in the cave, had reached Ireland by the latest 12,500 years ago, they initially habited a relatively treeless environment. The first known tree species which managed to establish itself in the Irish landscape was birch sometime around 12,000 years ago and it was then slowly over the following two millennia followed by some of the most familiar tree species. So around 10,000 years ago and I'm playing fast and loose with precise dates here juniper, pine, elm, hazel and oak appeared in the landscape. In a process over centuries and millennia these various species extended over 80% of the island. Now given we know that small communities of humans already existed and were well established by this point, they undoubtedly witnessed a major change in the landscape as these forests enclosed what had once been open ground. While this would be alarming today, this development was not as problematic for our distant ancestors as we might expect they may well have had a radically different understanding of woodlands and forests than we do. It's worth exploring this a bit deeper because when these attitudes changed, it would have far-reaching consequences for native Irish woodlands. Now, a few minutes ago, I conjured up a common and popular misconception that hunter-gatherers, the ancestors who butchered that bear in the cave, were perhaps a people who looked out on the forest as dangerous but in recent years, archaeologists and anthropologists have argued that these early humans understood and viewed the forest in a far more positive fashion. It was, after all, the resource that provided them with the essentials of life, from food, building materials, all the way to fuel they could burn to get them through cold winters. This is also supported by the fact that these native Irish woodlands were far more pleasant than most modern forests. As we heard from Alan in Wolfgang Forest at the start of the show, they were not the dark, foreboding places we often associate with woodlands. Indeed, contemporary studies of native woodlands indicate they contained large open spaces created by fires, either human or natural, storm damage or diseased trees. Now, this period where trees extended over 80% of the island 
is what we might call the age of trees in Ireland. It was a time where trees were the dominant species on the island for several millennia. The activities of all other species, humans included, were shaped by their relationship to trees. The first radical shift in terms of the landscape and a major moment in both the history of trees and humans took place around 6,000 years ago. This began when humans began to alter and reorganise how they lived, which would have a profound impact on trees. Indeed, it was so profound, we can say without question, that what I have called the age of trees was coming to an end. The age of the human was about to begin. Around 6,000 years ago, the comparatively small human population that lived in Ireland which numbered in the tens of thousands, began to dramatically change the way they produced food. New ideas and techniques allowed these communities to grow their own food rather than hunt and gather it from nature. While the story of this change from hunter-gathering to farming is more complex than this episode allows, in short, this was the beginning of agriculture in Ireland. It would take centuries, if not longer, to take hold but agriculture offered some distinct advantages over hunting and gathering, not least in that it gave humans a greater ability to control their food supply. However, growing crops demanded open fields, a development which would fundamentally change the way humans viewed the woodlands and forests around them. The native woodlands went from being a source of food, heat and building materials to being an obstacle in the way of food production. Even though the population of the island was small, as I said, probably numbering in the tens of thousands, they set about clearing large tracts of land and did it far faster than we might imagine. Rather than individuals heading out with a stone axe to cut down individual oak trees, they started controlled and sometimes uncontrolled fires, which in a matter of days would have cleared extensive tracts of land. Over the 3,000 years following the arrival of agriculture, the Irish landscape was utterly changed. By around 500 BC, the forest cover had dwindled from 80% to around just 20%. The memory of this clearance and the fundamental changes it ushered in must have been extraordinary to live through, as with each generation the forest dwindled and perhaps the tree line was further away on the horizon. It certainly made a mark on the population and stories surrounding it were passed down through the generations in folk tales. When the Normans invaded Ireland, well over a thousand years after these clearances had been completed, a chronicler, Gerald of Wales, recorded a story about a certain Bartholinus, who supposedly arrived in Ireland 300 years after the biblical flood. Gerald of Wales said of Bartholinus, We find few outstanding things done during the time of this Bartholinus, except that in the interest of developing agriculture, four huge forests were cut away from the very roots, and so an open plain was made, but not without the sweat of many. For at that time, Almost the whole land, with the exception of a few scattered mountain districts, was overgrown with vast and ever-multiplying woods. Consequently, there was scarcely any open place where one could ply the plough. The fact that Gerald was writing this down at least over a thousand years after these extensive forests had been cut down illustrates the significance 
that the cutting down of these forests must have had for the human generations who lived through it. Now, the introduction of agriculture had implications for native Irish woodlands beyond just the destruction to make way for fields. Agriculture and the surplus it creates allows for the development of far more complex societies. Indeed, by the year zero, the population of Ireland may have already reached half a million, which in itself increased the demand for timber, which obviously led in turn to more trees being cut down. However, at the same time society was also becoming technologically more sophisticated, we can see early infrastructure projects dating from the Iron Age in the centuries before the year zero. Some of the earliest roads date from this period, and these too began to create a demand for timber. The Corlay Trackway, a road through a bog alone, saw 300 trees felled for its construction, and it was almost certainly a small section of a more extensive network. The introduction of ironworking technology, which ushered in the Iron Age, also increased the demand on trees, given it requires large amounts of charcoal, which is made from ash trees. Therefore, by the year zero, we can well and truly say that the age of the tree had passed. Over a period of 3,000 years, between the arrival of agriculture and that year zero, the landscape had been fundamentally transformed. Native woodlands no longer dominated the country and only covered around 20% of the landscape. While they were mainly cut or burned to make way for farmland, the growing complexity of society and new technology such as ironworking was creating a growing demand for timber as well. However, our ancestors at this point, at least, still viewed trees in a fundamentally different manner than we do today. The surviving native woodlands still covered about a fifth of the island and thrived in areas of land that humans did not want or need. Alongside this, Trees also retained a spiritual significance and were important features in the landscape. For example, Irish place names, some of which have their origins from possibly as early as the Iron Age, indicate how woods were important to our ancestors, shaping how they understood the wider landscape. Woodlands and forests feature in numerous place names, the most famous of which is Derry and Kildare both originating in the Irish word dira, meaning oak grove. The spiritual importance of trees is also recorded in the oldest written sources from this period. The Roman invasions of Gaul, modern-day France and Britain in the centuries either side of the year zero brought their historians and writers into contact with societies which shared a similar spiritual worldview and understanding to Iron Age Ireland. In both regions, the Romans recorded how sacred groves of trees were used in rituals surrounding human sacrifice, part of a wider belief system that considered nature divine. Although somewhat less sensational, there is also ample evidence from Ireland that trees were spiritually significant, even after the arrival of Christianity in the 5th century. The billa, or sacred grove of trees, was a common feature at traditional inauguration sites for Gaelic Irish kings, these are documented right up into the late medieval period. For example, in 982, when the O'Neills invaded Thomond, the kingdom of their rival, Brian Boru, they cut down the sacred tree at Brian Boru's inauguration site, Magadair. By this point, we are now on the cusp of the later medieval period. While trees were viewed as important, the existing forests were coming under new pressures. Between 800 and 1,000, Ireland was also developing its first recognisable towns. 
Dublin, Wexford, Waterford, Cork and Limerick, which had been founded by Viking settlers. These settlements created a large demand for timber in terms of construction and early industries that began to emerge in them. There's also indication that an international market in timber was beginning to take off. According to the 17th century historian Geoffrey Keating, in 1098 King William Rufus, the son of William the Conqueror, sent a mission to Ireland to procure timbers to roof Westminster Hall. Given these developments, we can assume that Ireland's limited native Irish woodlands would have been cut down over several centuries. However, in the 12th century, a new force would intervene in both the history of Ireland and the history of trees on the island. The arrival of the Normans dragged Ireland in an entirely new direction, dramatically altering attitudes to woodlands and forests and accelerating the demise of native woodlands. In 1170, a tall, thin Norman lord named Richard de Clare, better known as Strongbow, having crossed the Irish Sea, waded ashore at Passage East in Watford. With an army of 1,200 men at his back, he had captured the city of Watford in a few days and Dublin fell in a matter of weeks. And so began the Norman invasion of Ireland. Over the following decades, these Normans and their descendants captured around 75% of Ireland. The full story of this invasion is covered in the Norman Invasion series in the back catalogue. They would transform the society and economy of the conquered lands. This not only dispossessed the Gaelic Irish of their land, but also had a fundamental impact on the surviving native woodlands as they accelerated their demise. The Norman settlers had a radically different understanding of the landscape. They did not hold with the older traditions that considered aspects of nature such as trees spiritually significant. Indeed, they viewed the remaining woodlands in the Irish landscape as exclusively a resource to be exploited. Numerous aspects of the emerging Norman colony put huge pressure on the remaining native woodlands. The first century of Norman rule in Ireland saw scores of new towns spring up across the landscape. These towns and their growing populations had a seemingly insatiable thirst for timber. It was, after all, the oil of the late medieval period. Much like oil today, which is used to create fuel and plastic-based construction materials, timber was used to build structures and was the primary source of heat. Indeed, there was almost no act in the late medieval period that did not involve extensive use of timber. Even when armies were leaving Ireland to fight overseas, thousands of saplings were cut down to create pens to transport war horses on ships. There was also a growing international demand for timbers from Ireland's renowned oak forests. For example, analysis of the roof timbers in Salisbury Cathedral, built in the early 13th century, has shown they were cut down in Irish forests. This is probable evidence of a much more extensive international trade in Irish timber. Indeed, the cathedral in Rouen in France was roofed with Irish oak in the 15th century. This international trade was obviously bad news for the Irish woodlands. While we often think of of the medieval period as one of very limited technological developments and achievements, the sheer scale of deforestation could be staggering. We get a fascinating insight from a court case in 1302 when a man called Simon de Feppo sued Theobald de Verdun. Simon, as a child, 
had inherited an estate in North County Dublin at Santry and Theobald had been charged with looking over the property between 1274 and 1296 when Simon would come of age. Theobald, it turned out, however, was an industrious guardian and had set about taking everything he could from Simon's estate. Not only did he strip the buildings of timbers, but was accused in 1302 of cutting down a staggering 30,000 ash trees and 1,000 elm trees in just 22 years. Theobald was found guilty on some of the charges, although the lack of clarity in the verdict makes it impossible to say which ones. Nevertheless, the fact that Simon could level the charge in the first place is indicative of what was possible and the scale of deforestation underway. These figures apply to just one forest in North County Dublin. It could have been happening across the island in numerous different locations at the same time. We know major deforestation was underway in South Dublin and further south still in Wicklow. The very fact that such extensive forests still remained in existence 130 years after the Norman invasion, less than five miles from medieval Dublin, is somewhat surprising. However, it would not take long before the hinterland of the city was picked clean of large oaks used in construction at the very least. Analysis of timbers used in the renovation of St. Patrick's Cathedral in the 1360s indicate that the builders were travelling considerable distances at this point, possibly as far away as Ulster, to locate timbers for use in such construction projects. Given the development of a near-industrial scale of deforestation, it's hardly any surprise that the Normans had a very different attitude to woodlands than the native Gaelic Irish. Trees in general held no spiritual meaning or significance for Norman society. Their religious practices were more focused in church buildings and they, if anything, viewed forests and woodlands as suspicious, even dangerous places. There were several reasons for this. On a practical level, by the later 13th century, the dispossessed Gaelic Irish, having been pushed to the margins and the poorest lands, were starting to attack the Norman colony with increasing frequency and were using forests as cover. On a deeper level, like most colonisers, the Normans claimed that they were civilising Ireland and the forests were seen as a barrier to this. Gerald of Wales, the Norman chronicler who we met earlier, viewed the Irish as uncivilised and this was partly because they lived in woodlands. As early as the 1180s, he had written of the Gaelic Irish. They are a wild and inhospitable people. They live on beasts only and live like beasts. They have not progressed at all from the primitive habits of pastoral living. While man usually progresses to the field and from the fields to settlements, these people despise work on the land, have little use for the money-making of towns, and desire neither to abandon nor lose the life which it has accustomed to lead in the woods and countryside. This notion that woodlands were synonymous with uncivilised peoples and needed to be conquered reinforced the fact that the society taking hold in Ireland in the late Middle Ages considered itself unable to coexist alongside large native woodlands. In the minds of Norman leaders, only one could prosper at the expense of the other, something that was illustrated in surprising form when trees enjoyed a brief resurgence when Europe was plunged into one of the worst human catastrophes in recorded history in the 14th century. Beginning in 1315, the population of Northern Europe was devastated by famine lasting three years. This was followed by an outbreak of rinderpest which wiped out cattle stocks which were central to the economy. 
Then in 1348, the crisis reached unprecedented levels with the arrival of the Black Death in Europe, a pandemic that killed up to 40% of the population. While these hammer blows were devastating for humans, they offered something of a brief respite for native woodlands as human society across the continent went into decline. For example, construction, which fueled the demand for timber in many areas, stopped and would not gain its previous vigour until the 16th century. Even more significantly, as farmland was abandoned, as communities disappeared in the aftermath of the Great Plague, there is evidence from across Europe that native woodlands began to expand for the first time in centuries. However, this reprieve was only temporary, and this expansion of forests limited. By the late 16th century, the violent colonialism that had accelerated the destruction of native woodlands after the Norman invasion returned with a series of plantations in Ireland between 1560 and 1700. These now saw large numbers of English and Scots settlers take lands in Ireland. They were commercial enterprises that sought to expand farmland where possible, but also exploit the last remaining stocks of native Irish forests for commercial purposes. The relationship between the forests and those who owned the land was firmly an economic one and most of the trees were more valuable felled than standing. It has been estimated that tree cover in Ireland by the 17th century had fallen to around just 2%. The native woodlands were now facing extinction. While building construction in Dublin moved towards stone and brick, large quantities of timber continued to be exported from Ireland, notably after the Great Fire of London in 1666, which created a huge demand for timber in the city. The dramatic growth of the Irish population in the following century, which grew from 2.5 million in 1740 to over 8 million a century later, created increased demand for land in areas previously considered too poor to farm. This could only lead to the continued deforestation across the island. Indeed, the process of stripping the country of its last remaining native woodlands was almost complete by the 1840s. It's remarkable looking at ordnance survey maps drawn during this period, given the lack of trees in the landscape. Indeed, only small pockets of native woodlands were to be found in isolated places. The most extensive forests were the private domains of landlords, These were carefully designed and choreographed pleasure gardens, in many ways precisely the opposite of native Irish woodlands. By this point, the story of trees in Ireland has come full circle. At the start of our journey, I talked about an Ireland dominated by trees, where they were, if anything, the dominant species on the island. But by the 19th century, we have arrived at a point where the last expanse of trees that remained were not the native woodlands, but carefully designed pleasure gardens dotted around human settlement. This would lead the French journalist Pascal Grousset to comment on a visit to Ireland in the 1880s. The most striking thing on the first sight of the Irish landscape is the total absence of trees of any kind. They are only seen in private parks. As far as the eye can see, the plains spread in gentle undulations, covered with grass and intersected with stone walls. No single oak, elm or shrub ever comes to break its monotony. The tree has become a lordly ensign. Wherever one sees it, one may be certain that the landlord's mansion is not far. This represented a whole new understanding of trees in Ireland. Almost 700 years earlier, Gerald of Wales, the Norman chronicler, the first known visitor to Ireland to document the island's trees, had bemoaned how they represented uncivilised natives. Trees 
by the 19th century had developed a whole new meaning where they were seen as symbols of the establishment. Grousset's statement that there was a total absence of trees in the landscape was not an exaggeration either. After independence, it was estimated Ireland's tree cover stood at 1%. The new Irish Free State took action to remedy this and plans were drawn up to reforest parts of Ireland. Through the course of the 20th century, there has been a steady increase in land deemed to be under forestry and it currently stands at 11%. However, two-thirds of this woodland is the sterile commercial forests that I recorded the opening section of the podcast in. The forests Alan Coleman from Wolfgang Reforest described as a timber factory. While there's a growing acceptance of the need for native Irish woodlands in the landscape and a shift away from trees being viewed purely in commercial terms or as something that doesn't benefit Irish society, native woodlands are still sadly a rarity in the Irish landscape. Now it's a rare but refreshing moment that simple actions you can take right now will have a major impact on the future of this story and of Irish woodlands. You can help write the next chapter in the history of our forests. As I mentioned at the start of the show, Wolfgang Reef Forests are in the process of growing a native Irish woodland. After visiting Wolfgang Reef Forest in Wicklow, I was really blown away by what they're creating. They have bought land close to Tom the Funoga Woods, one of the last remaining native Irish woodlands, and they're expanding the footprint of that native forest by 30%. You can get involved and join the gang at wolfgangreforest.ie and start reversing hundreds and indeed thousands of years of deforestation and help native Irish woodlands expand across the landscape again. Wolfgang plant only certified native Irish trees When I visited, I actually got to plant a sapling that came from the oldest tree in Ireland, known as the Brian Baru tree in Clare, which is around 800 years old. That's the attention to detail they're committed to. Sapling by sapling, they're writing the next chapter in the history of Ireland's trees. You can join the gang, as I say, at wolfgangreforest.ie. That's wolfgangreforest.ie. As part of the gang, you'll get invites to their woods and get your hands dirty planting trees during their planting seasons. It's an amazing experience. Make history and join the gang at wolfgangreforest.ie.